Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we'll be discussing the process of decision-making on a different topic. But rather than making strict recommendations, because everyone's circumstances are different, we're talking to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. My name is Mike Blake, and I am your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today we're going to talk a little bit of hardcore accounting. Um, we haven't done that yet on the program. We'll probably do it in a few episodes uh, along the way. Um, uh, and we're not necessarily going to get that technical, but um, you know, this just in, you may have heard that the tax law changed radically uh, at the end of last year. That has uh, changed the way that businesses are making decisions and, and making businesses kind of rethink decisions they may have made last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And one of those decisions that when businesses are typically are started, and maybe the change along the way, is uh, is the corporate form. In other words, are you a C corporation, an S corporation, you a limited liability company, and so forth. And there are many reasons that that or factors that drive that decision initially. But quite candidly, one of them is what is your tax liability going to be. Um, and depending on your corporate form, if it's done correctly and matches up with how your business makes money and how you make money from your business, that's going to drive what form of corporation or what corporate form you decide to take. And what we're finding at Bradyware is that a lot of, of clients now and, and, and others are, are coming to us and asking, well, you know, given these changes in the law, am I the right corporate form to frankly, maximize or optimize my tax liability. Nobody, nobody that I know likes to pay more taxes than, than they, they absolutely have to. Uh, I know I'm not tipping the federal government when I write mine out. So, um, But the, unfortunately, I know almost zero about it other than what I just talked about for the last 30 seconds. So we've brought in a, a subject matter expert. And I'm joined by uh, my colleague, fellow director, and good friend, Anita Anand. Uh, Anita is a director at Bradyware, and she's a licensed attorney and tax director at Bradyware. She has over 10 years of experience consulting with businesses to help them align their long-term business and financial objectives with a tax strategy that minimizes their overall exposure. She believes it is necessary to take the time to understand what her business clients have done to achieve the success they have and where they plan to go. She then uses her broad knowledge of U.S. and international tax laws to develop strategies and the most efficient tax structure to keep clients fully compliant at the lowest expense. Anita has worked with a broad range of companies, including technology, manufacturing, renewable energy, construction, real estate, and many other industries. She has helped them craft strategies to deal with federal, state, and local taxes, as well as inbound and outbound international tax issues. 
Along with these day-to-day responsibilities, Anita contributes her expertise to a number of local government agencies, industry organizations, and nonprofits. She is a guest lecturer at Georgia State University and the University of Georgia. Anita is also the author of various articles and white papers on various subject matters. In fact, I think she's the most prolific writer in the firm, and she's always, always writing something. You're so sweet, Mike. She has presented at conferences, authored articles, and led training sessions and initiatives. Anita is a graduate of Georgia State University's College of Law. And, you know, on a personal note, Anita was actually the first person that I met outside of the interview process before I joined the firm. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I remember, you know, very clearly that, you know, she was kind of one of the first to kind of welcome me and we we latched onto each other because the two of of us are the two non-CPAs. That is true. In the firm at the director level, right? Very true. We got to stick together, Mike. We do have to stick together. (laughs) Um, but you know that that having been said, you know you you studied tax, I have not. So um, it's it's just delightful to welcome you to the program. We're gonna have some fun today while we we help people work through this decision. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. So Anita, I've I've given this sort of this introduction, but I'd like you to kind of humanize it a little bit. Talk about what you do at Brady Ware and how you're helping clients on a day to day basis. Yeah. So. Um like you said, I'm a director with the firm. I spearhead the international tax practice. Uh, and so because I'm a lawyer by trade and not a CPA by trade, I, I come at it from a slightly different angle in that tax consulting really is my specialty. So I work a lot with uh, clients, whether they're individuals or businesses um, here in the U.S. that are wanting to expand their operations or their work um, in, in foreign jurisdictions and vice versa, right? So if we have, let's say, uh, a company that um, has already established their business in foreign markets, and now they want to expand it into the U.S., helping them understand what U.S. tax rules um, are, how they work, um, what the regime is like, and what kind of an impact they're going to be uh, probably faced with is is really what I like to kind of help them plan with. Um, but, you know, outside of the international, my, my foundation is technical tax. That's what my career has always been. So I also serve as a, as a resource to others across the firm um, on technical tax matters, which vary all across the spectrum. So if there's, let's say, a client that has maybe a little bit more of a complex issue that requires some more technical tax research, looking into, uh, trying to figure out maybe how IRS may interpret a specific set of facts and circumstances, um, really diving into those types of situations and then advising the clients appropriately. So that's just a very nice way, I think, of saying that I'm a tax nerd. (laughs) Um, and, 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 but, but I enjoy it. I enjoy it. You know, my job is to understand how these tax rules work, um, and then help explain to clients what it means to them. You know, it's okay to be a nerd. The nerds rule the world. That's okay. Right. Yeah. The the nerds are the ones driving Teslas. The the nerds are the ones with second and third homes. There you go. Right. You know, it's all good. So if you're the nerd that everybody comes to for things tax, I mean, that's, that's not a bad place to be. So. What what does being a tax expert and advisor mean? I mean, you talked a little bit about being about sort of being a tax nerd, but it goes a little bit beyond that, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It does. It does. And you know, I think the um, the overarching goal for any tax advisor, and this is the way I view it, is you know you really are taking what is a complex set of rules. You know, the in the federal income tax code. You're taking the code, you're taking the regulations associated with it, the guidance IRS has issued along the way, um, and, and trying to, number one, keep up with that, understand what 
what that means, interpret it correctly, but then more importantly, be able to communicate that to a client in a way that they understand, right? It's no different than, you know, for example, if I go to a doctor not feeling well and they spit out all of these medical terms that have 15, 18 syllables to it. Well, he could be the most, he or she could be the most brilliant person on the face of the earth, but they're not communicating to me in a manner I understand what what it means. Um, and so I, I kind of take tax advisory in that light, in that we're, we're, our job is to really take something that, you know, the average person probably doesn't even want to deal with. Um, and it's our job to make them understand how it impacts their business. Um, but that's also a loaded job description, right? Because that, that includes includes, you know, that the advisor needs to be keeping up with all these tax law changes, um, which is constantly in a state of flux, um, not only on a federal level, but international implications, state and local tax implications. So there's a lot to always keep up with. Um, but then I think what also sets maybe um, tax advisors um, apart from just true tax compliance, because I view tax compliance as you're looking in the rearview mirror. You know, you're reporting what has already happened, whereas I think one of the key aspects of a tax advisor is to have more of a proactive approach, you know, work with clients from the beginning and more so on the front end and along the way in terms of, hey, how's the business going? How are we seeing things uh, go? What is the ultimate goal here? What are things you should be aware of, how they're going to impact you, what are you thinking about, what aren't you thinking about that you should be thinking about. That way we're making sure that clients are in the best position possible to make the best business decisions, understanding tax impacts along the way. You know, I, I think that's a very smart comment that you made that I want to highlight because I, I think it's that important that it's, willing, it's, it's worth going off script to do that. Um, there's a big difference between being an analyst and an advisor, mm-hmm. isn't there? There right? is. And, you know, when, when you're an analyst, you often talk about either here's what happened, mm-hmm. right, or if A, B, and C happen, then sort of here's the flow chart and here's what will happen. Here's kind of what the math says. Right. And here's what the law clearly says. Mm-hmm. The advisor's job is a lot less comfortable, isn't it? It is. And you have to be okay with the – you have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, and and that is 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 difficult to do, you know, because nobody likes to be in that gray space. Um, and and you know, in my experience, and especially in light of tax reform, a lot of tax professionals are stuck in that gray space. And it's even worse now, right? Because you talk about changing rules and changing regulations. As I understand it, in many ways, the IRS has not decided or at least has ch- not chosen to share with us yet Correct. How, what they've decided the rules actually mean, right? So in a lot of cases, to be perfectly candid, we're all, not just Bradyware, but mm-hmm. every CPA who's being intellectually honest right. is making a best guess based on available information that could turn out to be wrong. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that's another thing that's going to set um, what I believe, you know, tax advisors in, into different buckets is – being honest with clients, you know, I understand, um, you know, we have, I've, I've, I've had these clients, uh, these conversations multiple times with clients is if clients are expecting an answer. When they come to you, they are expecting an answer on, okay, this is my issue. Tell me what I need to do. And we need to be honest in that we are in this state of flux and that there is so much that is unknown. Um, but given what we know as it stands right now, this is what we believe to be where we think IRS is going to come out on it, but under with the caveat that it could completely change, you know, because we just don't know what we don't know. And does your legal training help you with that? I mean, 
when you're the, the law is the law, but on the other hand, the law is the law until it gets in front of a judge and jury. Correct. Um, it did. It did. But, you know, I also think it's um, also experience along the way. You know, it, the, the legal training helps you analyze um, what is already in front of you. It helps you um, interpret, okay, if, if, you know, if, if you're looking at, let's say, 10 tax court cases on a particular issue and eight have gone a certain way and two have possibly gone a different way to kind of help analyze what that really means. So, it, it has provided the analytical skills that I think I have, um, but you know there's still that 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 second part of the equation, which is being okay with communicating the you know your analysis accurately and honestly with a client, which just I think comes with experience. So I'm going to go out on a limb mm-hmm. and say you didn't necessarily when you were eight years old say I want to become a tax advisor. No. Is that fair? <laughs> that is a fair statement. Nope. Some people have done that. More power. Maybe they go ahead and do more power to them. But, but, but you didn't. And I didn't grow up saying I was going to be a business. I didn't know what a business appraiser was until after I graduated from business school. Mm-hmm. But so, so what got you into tax advisory? What captivated you that you wanted to make that your career and you wanted to be an expert in tax? It's it's really funny that you ask that question because I've asked my question uh, that question of, of myself um, a couple of times along the way during busy season yeah 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 every every year around you know between that February and April time time frame um, so early on in my career. Um, I never at all thought that I was going to do tax. Honestly, doing my own personal income tax return that one time a year was enough tax I ever needed to be um, exposed to. But, um, you know, I got a a good opportunity in in tax and obviously in the tax advisory role. And um, I went in with a certain set of expectations, um, and I was actually pleasantly surprised. Um, So I stuck around, and, and over time, that's how I've built my career. But you know, along the way, obviously, you learn a lot about yourself as an individual and as a professional. And when I look back at really what made me stick around in the tax space is I think, um, believe it or not, in a weird way, I think I like problem solving, you know, and and, and tax advisory is that every day. Um, It's not necessarily that a client is coming to you, hey, I have an IRS audit, now please fix this for me. It's advising clients along the way and what they're trying to do. There's a constant problem, quote unquote, that that business owners are, are constantly faced with. And so you're able to advise them on that. So it's a it's it's problem solving that I enjoy. Um, and then I, I enjoy working with people, you know, so I like getting to know my clients and understanding what their business is, where their goals lie. Um, and, and, you know, obviously building that kind of professional relationship where they believe that you are a valuable member to the team. Mm -hmm. So I think all of those things put together have have made um, tax advisory um, a good fit for me, um, which is, I guess, why it's it's been working (laughs) pretty well. It has worked pretty well. You're a brand new director. (laughs) That is right. That is right. Can can you think of a, a neat success story you've had with a client, something we really really either helped them out of a bind or you know, helped them, frankly, just save a lot of money that they're going to be on the hook for? Yeah. Um, you know, I've been blessed with, um, you know, uh, quite a few uh, client situations where we were able to get them out of what I'm going to just call a pickle. Um, you know, we had a, I had a client that specifically came to me from a prior CPA firm. Uh, they were in the midst of, you know, a complete uh, reorganization, corporate reorganization. And the, the amount of um, dollars that were involved were quite significant. And so, the way the prior CPA firm was advising them to to 
pursue this reorganization was going to be a completely taxable event. Um, and it was going to cost them a lot of money. Um, so when when they, they came to me, we had some certain discussions and, um, you know, we really, we really had to dive into some of the tax rules in terms of could they possibly benefit from a tax-free reorganization. So we worked very closely with their legal team uh, to stay within the parameters of the law and what is allowed. Um, and in fact, what the tax liability their prior CPA had had um, estimated to them, we were able to completely wipe it out. So so that was, um, you know, I think one of the success stories that, that I kind of hold on to quite a bit. It, it saved them millions of dollars. Um, so, uh, you know, quite significant on their end as well. Um, but, you know, my success story is is truly where I find the success is when you have a client that, you know, achieves success and you're a valuable, you know, member to the team that helped them do it, you know, and they look at you as being a valuable member to the team. And that in and of itself is success. Yep. That's what it's all about, right? That, that's in, what in we're in it for. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. So, so, Let's talk now about entity conversions. Why are people talking about them so much now? Why is there so much chatter about, I want to convert from C to S or S to C or something else? Mm-hmm. Well, it's this little thing called tax reform <laughs> that you had alluded oh, yeah, to. Oh, yeah, heard the, of that. Yeah, that little thing that happened at the end of 2017. Um, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was was the tax reform package, really. Um, and and it was high time for tax reform. If you, if you go back and you think about the last major tax regime overhaul, it was back in 1986. So the fact that, um, you know, this last one was done in 2017, I mean, you're talking 30 plus years later. So it was high time for, you know, there to be, I think, a little bit more of a, a look towards our tax laws, our tax rules, and, and um, modify them to be in line with the current marketplace and business realities of, of um, our our country. So, um, so you know, with, with tax reform, though, we had a number of different changes. And, and one of the most talked about is the reduced corporate tax rate. So we went down from 35% to 21%. And now that has raised this conversation um, amongst various taxpayers, it, you know, does it make sense for me to use a traditional corporate structure? Because before it was going to cost me 35% at the corporate level. Well, now it's lower. Um, so should I be thinking about a conversion? So that's truly what has sparked it and, and all the conversations that we're hearing and reading about. And, and, and what are clients converting from and to in order to take advantage of that? So at this point, a lot of clients are thinking about converting from what's called a pass-through entity, which is like your traditional partnership as corporation, um, limited liability company or LLC, um, to a C-corporation. So that's what I think the conversation is and the discussion point is right now, is I'm taking what, you know, there really is no corporate entity. Um, It's a pass-through. And does it make sense now for me to convert um, that pass-through entity to a traditional C-corporation? Now, that's kind of different from at least what I've encountered. Maybe that's because that's where valuation comes in. Mm -hmm. But I'm more used to seeing C to S form conversions, right? Right. is going back the other way more or less complicated than C to S or about the same? So, you know, it's very I'm – okay, I'm going to caveat this, but um, – it, it's simpler to go from a pass-through entity like an S to a C or a partnership to a C or LLC to a C. But going the other way – it's a little bit more difficult. You've got a lot more considerations that go into that, um, and, and there's usually some pain and cost associated with it. And so that's kind of 
part of um, the, the conversation that we're having with our clients right now is, sure, we can talk about this conversion. We can do the modeling. We can, you know, uh, certainly walk you through it. But just know that as easy as it is to maybe check the box and, and convert to a C corporation, in the event two years down the road you wanted to go back, there's going to be some cost. Um, so the short answer to your question is it's really just not that easy um, to go back once you've elected to, to be a corporate corporation. So you better be sure. You should be sure. And, and I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not an accountant, but my, my impression is the IRS generally – is not a huge fan of changing corporate forms all the time, like share changes, right? You, you know, outfits in a concert, absolutely, because you want to optimize your taxes. Right, so they're not right. a huge fan of that. No. So, um, can we say there's a bottom line or a blanket statement? Or I, I'm going to rephrase the question actually, and the question is, what's what are kind of the criteria that makes a company a good candidate mm-hmm. for? a pass-through entity conversion to a non-pass-through entity conversion? Mm-hmm. What's kind of that checklist look like? You know, um, Mike, that's a really good question. Um, but unfortunately, there is no one-size-fits-all. And I, the reason I say that is because there were so many different moving pieces in tax reform that there are new benefits that are afforded to those businesses that are operating as a pass-through entity. And now there are new benefits that are um, afforded to those that are operating in a traditional corporate structure. So it, it's kind of hard because you're not really comparing apples to apples. Um, so what you really need to look at, I can tell you kind of what maybe the logic should be. Um, and the logic should be taking a closer look in terms of what is your business today? What are your near-term and long-term goals? Um, what type of activities are you engaging in? Um, you know, are, are you expanding in international markets? Are you um, investing in real estate? Like, what what is it? Where is your income coming from? Um, because those are going to help, I think, really determine whether one particular type of structure is better than others. Um, and then, you know, from there, you really have to do modeling. You know, you know, it's it's very easy to speak conceptually um, and and big picture, but at the end of the day, what everyone wants to know is the bottom line: is how much is this going to cost me? Um, and and the thing is, when whatever structure you choose, it's an annual cost. There's an annual cost associated with it. That's your tax liability. So you got to put pen to paper, or or in this case, maybe have some intricate and complex spreadsheets. Um, but to really help understand, okay, well, if I do it in a partnership form, you know, could I maybe tap into certain benefits there? So, for example, like. Under tax reform, there's a new deduction that's afforded to, um, to uh, um, you know, a certain qualified business income of qualified trades or businesses that's um, afforded in, you know, partnership or S-corporation or even sole proprietorships that is not available to a C-corporation. But now the C-corporation has a lower tax rate. They have other benefits that, you know, could potentially be taken advantage of if, let's say, if there's some exports or something going on. So you really got to, you just have to understand what different pieces kind of fit together and and then be able to compare both of them and see what works out better. Um, It'll, in my experience, the conversations that I've had with clients, um, it really has been a toss up, you know, where you kind of go in thinking that, okay, a conversion might actually prove to be beneficial. But then when you put that pen to paper, you, you see that maybe not and vice versa. So it, it's really, you know, uh, unfortunately the facts and circumstances are going to dictate. And sometimes a cure is worse than a disease. Correct. Right? So, yep. 
All right, so let, I want to take a step back for just a second because I'm sure some of our listeners uh, don't geek out on this accounting stuff. So I, I want to take a step back and, and do a little bit of remedial tax accounting mm-hmm. 101. And that, and that is, you know, at the outset, generally, why do people check that box? They're going to be a pass-through entity to begin with mm-hmm. versus a non-pass-through entity. What, what, what generally kind of drives that, that decision initially? So, you know, the, the, I think first and foremost, the overarching benefit of having a pass-through entity is the fact that you truly get pass-through of income, loss, um, credits, you know, deductions, whatever may be uh, generated from the business. Um, so, you know, let's take, a, let's take a structure. Let's assume that we've got a partnership that owns a business. Um, the business is profitable. Um, we've, you know, and, and so whatever income is generated from the business is reported at the partnership entity level. So the partnership itself will file a tax return, but the partnership itself does not pay an income tax. Instead, the partners get their pro rata share of income and all the other items of tax that are allocated to the partners, um, and then they report their income on their personal income tax return based on whatever tax bracket they may be in. So that's your traditional pass-through. You don't have the two layers of taxation, um, but you're afforded, obviously, limited liability, right, with having a certain type of uh, limited liability in their partnership or S-corporation. Um, nowadays, I, like I was mentioning earlier, out uh, uh, because of tax reform with this new deduction now, there's an additional reason or an additional benefit to operate in the form of a pass-through, which is called this qualified business income deduction, which is up to a 20% deduction on certain types of income from certain types of qualified trades or businesses. thing you need to know about taxes, when the IRS is, is um, offering a tax credit or a deduction, they're qualifying it. So you need to make sure you truly are eligible. But You can't just say, hey, exactly Right. You can't just assume you're going to be you know, um, eligible for, for anything. Um, so, so there are quite a bit of caveats, and so you want to make sure you're eligible for it. But that is another benefit that's afforded to pass-throughs that isn't afforded to your traditional corporation. Um, you know, and then if you kind of go to let's go to a, like a uh, an LLC structure, right? If if you have um, an LLC with just one one member, right? So like I set up an LLC, I'm the only one in it. Well, I'm afforded that legal. Uh, the the limited liability from a legal standpoint, but for tax purposes, that LLC is treated as a disregarded entity. So what that means is I don't even have a compliance requirement at that LLC level, but I still get the benefit of the flow through. So so flow throughs have quite a bit of benefits, and there's a little bit more flexibility associated as well with with pass through entities that aren't necessarily available in the corporate structure. But I think those are kind of, I think, your main points that have, have had people gravitate towards a pass-through structure in it, um, as opposed to some others. Okay. Now, a big part of your practice, an increasing part of your practice, is international, mm-hmm. right? And you do a lot of work, particularly in Latin America, but a bunch of other places, too. Is, is, this, is this change in the law and this discussion of corporate form conversion having an impact on companies doing a lot of international business? It most definitely is. So if you take a step back and try to understand part of what was going on from, you know, the legislative side um, in tax reform, I think a lot of what the U.S. was realizing was that U.S. companies are choosing to do business in foreign jurisdictions because of the tax rates in the U.S., is that they were just too high. And so there was an effort to try to 
incentivize businesses to bring those bring that um, those operations back into the U.S. And so part of it is bringing the corporate tax rate down from 35 to 21 percent. But then there were other incentives that were added as part of the tax reform package that are only afforded to um, corporations that have an international um, uh, presence that are not afforded to those that are operating through a pass-through entity. So for example, you know, now, obviously, because the, the corporate tax rate has come down, it's making it, number one, just more attractive. But number two, you know, if you have, let's say, a U.S. company that um, has, you know, is, is providing services or selling goods to an unrelated third party that happens to be a foreign person for ultimate foreign use and consumption, they're eligible to tap into a tax deduction benefit that is only afforded to corporate taxpayers, not afforded to a partnership or an S corporation. Um, so, so there's that benefit that, you know, if, again, if that's the kind of the line of business you're in, that's going to, that may tip um, uh, the, the scale in the favor of, of, operating in a corporate form. Um, other types of benefits, um, especially in the international space, what we have is a lot of U.S. corporations that have ownership in controlled foreign corporations. Um, and so now there's a 100% dividends received deduction for, for those dividends that are truly foreign sourced. Um, so that's an added benefit, again, only to corporate taxpayers. Um, but also in light of tax reform, there were also some new taxes that IRS decided or uh, um, Congress decided to go ahead and enact. Um, and so to, to help offset the overall tax cost, there are deductions um, to help, like I said, offset that tax liability. But that deduction is only available to corporations not available to pass through. So a couple of those different, you know, pieces put together are are making an impact, especially for those with an international presence. Um, that So I think the analysis is slightly different for those with a multinational um, footprint than those with just a domestic uh, operation. Okay. Well, let me switch gears here a little bit. I wanted to, I'd like to talk about um, a topic near and dear to my heart, which is startups. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in my experience, I, I, you know, most startups – well, if a, if a startup is going to start, if they think they're going to raise venture capital, they may start out as a pastor, but they wind up migrating to being a C corporation. Right. They do right. that because one, it allows them to issue multiple classes of stocks, mm-hmm. so you can have preferred shares, and the other is that is that venture capitalists don't want to have pass through gains right. or profits that they have to pay taxes on, right? Because it, it deprives the company of cash. Um, is that calculus now changing? Because the tax law is the tax law now driving something else. Um, yes, yes, and no. You know, I think some of the uh, considerations um, as it relates to startups remain the same. Um, you know, typically startups, what we we generally see is that in the first few years, there's just a lot of losses, um, and so a pass through structure is attractive um, for the reason. That 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 as a name implies is you get the pass through of those losses to the individuals versus it getting trapped at a corporate level, right? So um, if you if they had set it up from as a corporation from the beginning, um, whatever losses are being generated, they they get stuck at that corporation level and they don't really are they're not able to be realized or benefits are not able to be realized at the individual um, shareholder level. So so I think that consideration still holds true, but I think. To your point, what we have seen in the past and what we will probably continue to see is um, over time, as they get closer to raising capital, there is going to be 
maybe not necessarily a tax decision that's the the primary driver, but more so a business decision to uh, elect to be treated as a C corporation instead, and more so because of the VC money. If the VCs are expecting it to be a corporate structure, they're the ones that are bringing the money to the table. So naturally, we want to please them, right? So that's what we've seen in the past, and I think we'll continue to see that. I I think our experience has been that some VCs, and and this is maybe where I would defer to you, some VCs I think are starting to get maybe a little bit more comfortable than what we used to see 10 years ago with with a pass-through entity structure, but still traditionally I think most still expect to to see that corporate form in place. Yeah, in in my experience, I I see angel investors – particularly if they only have one or two investments, Mm -hmm. they're okay with an LLC because when there are pass-through losses, they can actually use them. Right. Right. But if you're an investor and you've got eight of these startups, right, Right. you'll never be able to use all the losses. They'll just expire before you'll be able to use them, right? right? So you may as well go ahead and at least in some of these entities, make it a C-Corp because you can't benefit from the pass-through losses anyhow. Right, right. You know, the only thing that, you know, is is just going to make that decision a little bit easier is that, obviously, if you've got a company that's now choosing to be a C-Corporation because of, you know, VC money or, or whatever other reasons might be associated with it, it's not the 35% income tax rate that you're looking at um, that's glaring at you with flashing lights and everything. It's 21%, which seems to be a little bit more tolerable. By the way, I'm going to note something to our listeners. This is the first time in my life I've said three correct accounting things in a five-minute period. We're so, so proud of you, Mike. Thank you very much. <laughs> we are so proud thank of you. Thank you very much. I'm going to give myself a little present at the end of the day. Um, all right. So this is, this is obviously very complex, mm-hmm. right? This is not something we can solve for anybody over a 30-minute po- – I don't think you could solve it with a 30-minute conversation directly with a client, right? right? So right. can you provide some guidelines on how to think about this decision, right? At least somebody's, somebody's interest now peaks like, well, gee, I'm, I'm a C. Maybe I ought to be a pastor and start you – know, not pay so much in taxes. Right. What, are, what can they think about to make that decision to email you, call you – decide if this is kind of a worthwhile pursuit on their part. Right. I I think first and foremost, I think, you know, you need to really sit down, take a step back. I think a lot of business owners, um, they kind of know what they're expecting and what they want out of their business. But because they get involved sometimes in the day-to-day, we don't necessarily just take a step back and really think about what is our strategic goal? What is our strategic vision for the business? Um, What are we doing today? What am I wanting to do tomorrow? Five years down the road, ten years down the road. Think that map that part out because talking to your tax advisor, talking to your legal team, they're not going to be able to give you those answers, right? That needs to be driven by the business owner. But once you have that that strategy laid out, then I think it's it's um, prudent to go ahead and and um, initiate those conversations with a tax advisor and say, hey, you know what, this is kind of where I'm at right now. This is my current structure. This is what I'm expecting to do. Obviously, we understand we plan and life has has a different plan for us. So, uh, so we understand that. But, but I think if you have a roadmap to start with, that at least prompts the conversation um, for discussion and considerations. And then from there, talk about the benefits of kind of what benefits are they are they currently realizing versus what are the benefits that they could be realizing under a different structure. And then you really have to do the modeling. You really do. Um, you know, I, I would go on record and say that I think um, any type of a conversion without modeling um, is 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 a little scary, you know, because, you, again, you've got to put 
the pen to paper and really see how it all shakes out. So do the modeling. And then once you kind of know how the numbers shake out, then I think there's still a second layer of considerations in terms of, okay, now administratively, what is the cost of conversion? Um, You know, what are going to be my legal fees? What are going to be my tax fees? Um, Other you know, non-tax considerations, for example. So for example, if you know, if you have a, a client that's got a partnership and on modeling, the C corporation might be a more advantageous uh, tax structure. Okay. Now you got to think about corporate formalities, you know, uh, articles of incorporation. Do I need to have annual shareholder meetings? How are my minutes going to be um, recorded? So there's other stuff to think about that's not necessarily just tax considerations. And so the the conversation needs to be not only with your tax advisor, but also your legal team, because all these pieces need to fit together like a proper puzzle. And to be clear, when you say modeling, we're not talking about getting on a runway and strutting down, the, <laughs> strutting de- down but, ra- but rather it's, it's doing the math, right? Opening Absolutely. up a spreadsheet and just, you know, at, so- at some point in business, there's just no substitute for grinding out the numbers, right? Right, and right. One of the things that 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 you guys do and, and we do is we help you grind through the numbers. Absolutely. So, so if if somebody wants to, if somebody's not sure, mm-hmm. right? But they listen to this podcast, they're thinking, you know, I'm I'm not sure, but I don't want to waste Anita's time. She seems really nice and busy. Can can they just sort of call you and get kind of a consultation to see if it makes sense? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's what we're doing for so many. And and honestly, I would encourage it because as a business owner, you should be thinking about it. At least ask the question. The answer may be you're absolutely fine, but but be thinking about it and have these conversations. And I will say that I don't believe that this conversation is going to be a one conversation, you know, and and be done with it. Um, because you know, as as we've spoken about earlier in this conversation is there's still so much to be learned in light of tax reform. We're still waiting on more guidance to come out. Um, so, so the conversation may actually be more of a, uh, a continuing conversation because, again, ultimately you want to be making the best decision for you out of a position of, of being, you know, being in possession of as much knowledge as you being can. Being informed, right? right? You, you want to be informed. You want to be educated. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, if, if you convert, you know, so you can't really go back without there being some tax pain and costs associated with it. So you want to be really sure. Um, and then also weigh the, the facts that, you know, every some people are talking about what's the certainty? I mean, will tax law change again? That, okay, if we go ahead and convert and, you know, down the road, now the rules are completely different. And then what happens? And and that is that is a risk. That is a factor. But you got to weigh that with maybe some of these other considerations and really see how the scale tips. That sounds cool. Somebody I really do a podcast about making informed decisions. Well, never mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if somebody wants to ask you, if someone wants to reach out to you and 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 pursue this, how how can somebody get a hold of you? Well, uh, you know, the good thing is I think I'm I'm pretty flexible. People call all the time, um, email all the time, um, LinkedIn, Facebook. I mean, I've got clients that reach out to me a form of different ways, and so I would encourage um, anyone to reach out and however they they feel fit. Um, email, call, and want to schedule an in person meeting. Happy to do that as well. Um, but I, I would encourage that conversation. Um, with someone, you know, whether it's me or whoever people feel comfortable with, but at least be having that conversation with your tax advisor, because I think it is, it is high time. Um, and if, if, you know, they haven't brought it up to you, you should probably bring it up to them. And uh, what's your email address? It's aanand at bradyware.com. So A-A-N-A-N-D at bradyware.com. 
All right, so there you have it. Everything that you want to know about corporate form conversion but may or may not have been afraid to ask, but you shouldn't be afraid to ask anymore because Anita really knows her stuff, and she's pretty cool too. So oh, you know, thanks, do, ask, do ask her about it. Happy to help. Um, so I'm going to thank Anita for, for coming on. This is great. This is, a, this is literally thousands of dollars of free advice that you've just given. So that, that's, that's awesome. Um, and that's going to wrap it up for uh, this program. I'd like to thank Anita so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.